Thank you. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about the campaign of vicious vilification that was waged against me in the media um, when I was uh, in custody, um, accused of the murder of Joe Yates. Um, but first of all, just one or two things about the way in which Joe herself was presented in the media. After all, she was the tragic victim at the center of this drama. She was young, she was quite attractive, she was vulnerable, uh, she was home-loving, she was at the start of what promised to be a very successful career as a, a landscape uh, uh, architect, um, and she was just about to spend her first Christmas with her boyfriend. She was presented, um, in effect, as everybody's favorite daughter, and they were everybody's ideal couple. And then uh, suddenly all this was destroyed and her body was found, you remember, callously dumped by the side of the road on Christmas Day of all days. And so evidently we're looking for a depraved monster who's responsible for all this and I'm the person who's been arrested. And immediately, a large part of the press were determined to believe that the person who'd been arrested was the genuine murderer, and so to portray me in as dark and as lurid a light as possible. And the first thing that happened was that somebody remembered that 30-odd years previously, there'd been an unsolved murder of another young woman, um, less than a quarter of a mile away from... Uh, where Joe had been living, um, and of course I'd also been living in the area at that time, so there was quite a bit of um, excitement that perhaps not just a murderer had been discovered, but somebody who was a serial murderer. And um, in fact, much later I was rung up by somebody I didn't know to say that while I'd been in custody, um, he'd overheard a conversation between a couple of reporters um, who were speculating that um, almost certainly a serial murderer had been uncovered. Um, and then it seemed quite possible, and in the end this did indeed turn out to be absolutely true, that there was a sexual motive for the murder. Now, um, I suppose that if you're a, a reporter who's interested first and foremost in a sensational story that's going to sell copies, then you may talk, um, let's say, to 100 people, and if 99 of them say one thing, but the 100th, perhaps because um, you've offered them some money or some other inducement, says what you want to hear, then that's what you're going to go with. And reports were published that two anonymous women had um, come forward who very conveniently no longer lived in Bristol, um, it was said, um, who'd apparently suffered some form of sexual harassment and were prepared to insist that I was guilty of that harassment. Uh, but in my case... Uh, the tabloids weren't uh, content just with simple sexual harassment. Just to be a sexual predator, that's perhaps not quite spicy enough. So somebody managed to um, unearth the most tenuous connection imaginable between me and somebody who'd been in prison several years earlier 
for an offence with an underage boy. Um, of course, the papers um, stressed that there was no evidence that I'd been involved in that offence, but uh, simply by saying there was no evidence, they raised the possibility that perhaps I did actually have paedophile tendencies. So we now have not just a sexual predator, uh, we've got a bisexual predator, perhaps with paedophile tendencies as well. And all sorts of fantastic rumours were latched onto um, that I would hold pupils' hands while reading poetry. Again, um, obviously with sinister sexual motives. And then to complete the character assassination, it was alleged that I was fascinated by death, in fact, obsessed with death. Well, what were the grounds for that? Simply that I happened to have shown on occasion a documentary about the liberation of Auschwitz, which just happens to be uh, one of the finest films to come out of the Second World War and is arguably... Uh, one of the greatest documentaries ever made. So, this is the person you're listening to at the moment, this dark, macabre, sinister villain. And there were all sorts of other things. For example, I was almost certainly prone to violent and uncontrollable outbursts of temper. Now, it's also um, interesting to compare the epithets that were used to describe me on the one hand and Joe on the other. Joe was always uh, presented as the landscape architect, um, as if to uh, draw attention to her respectable credentials and to underline the fact that her life had been cut tragically short. Uh, whereas the caricature of me was of a, a peeping Tom because I apparently spied on tenants and a loner um, simply because I happened to live on my own. Now, to be fair, uh, the papers didn't entirely ignore the fact that quite a lot of people actually said some rather nice things about me, but these tended to be played down, and they certainly weren't given very much prominence in the articles. And I'm just going to quote briefly a couple of paragraphs from an article that uh, the professor of journalism at um, Kingston University wrote about the, the uh, coverage of my arrest. It appeared about eight months after I'd been arrested. He said, uh, this hostile evidence was founded almost entirely on unnamed witnesses with some of the most contentious quotations reproduced in several papers. A careful reader who relied only on quotes from people who were identified by name would probably have seen a very different picture. A former tenant, a friend, a former headmaster, a neighbour, described in various papers, though usually towards the end of articles, a man who was a dedicated teacher, a responsible landlord, and an active member of his community. Several expressed amazement at his arrest or downright disbelief at the idea of him killing anyone. Put these together with some readily available facts, and it would have been possible to flip the picture entirely. This man had taught for 34 years without a blemish on his record. 
He was involved in Neighbourhood Watch, the Liberal Democratic Party, and a number of conservation campaigns. He had a large circle of friends, owned a handful of properties, and was studying for a degree in French. As one neighbour put it, he was a pillar of society. But editors didn't give much prominence to that interpretation. Instead, the papers were uh, so engrossed in their witch hunt that they were prepared even to ignore the warnings of the then Attorney General. And you may remember that a, a couple of them, the Sun and the Daily Mirror, were found guilty of contempt and fined. Now, what I've been describing are just uh, a few of the, the more serious allegations which um, resulted in my taking libel action. But on every conceivable level, the reporting was extraordinarily lazy and casually inaccurate. Um, and I want to suggest that it, um, it reveals what's happened to a great deal of popular mainstream journalism in that it's uh, much closer to fiction than to fact. It's certainly got nothing to do with truth-seeking and far more to do with storytelling. It's a kind of infotainment in which stories which pretend to be news are sensationalized as a form of commercial exploitation. And um, the, 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 the characters in these stories, they're treated simply as pawns um, or targets. They're not individuals with feelings. Now, I'm sure that some of you will have heard of Richard Pepiat, who used to be a tabloid reporter. He now has a second career as... Um, an expose of that industry, and some of you may have seen his wonderfully uh, satirical and irreverent film, One Rogue Reporter. Well, commenting um, again on the reporting of my arrest and also that of Rebecca Layton, who you may remember was arrested in 2011 because she was suspected of um, contaminating saline solution at Stepping Hill Hospital in Greater Manchester. Um, he wrote, ask them what it's like to be the targets of a media whose commitment is not to truth, but entertainment. They've witnessed from the inside the staggering speed with which the manufactured image overtakes the real, the crude reduction of their lives into grotesque caricatures. The point of reference used by journalists writing about them was not the real. Instead, it was the calculating killers and creepy oddballs of the movie screens that were simply superimposed upon the names and images of a retired schoolmaster and a young nurse to create blockbuster storylines. Just as their readers are treated not as citizens to be respected, but consumers to be manipulated. And the moral and ethical standards one applies to real-world behavior can be suspended when adopting the role of the storyteller, whose main imperative is to entertain. In fact, it's a very good example of a well-known quotation that's attributed to Greg Miskew, who was a news editor under both Rebecca Brooks and Andy Coulson at the News of the World. That is what we do, he said. We go out and destroy other people's lives. 
Now, I mentioned um, briefly Brian Cathcart's article in the Financial Times. Uh, it appeared um, eight months after uh, I'd been arrested, and during the preceding months, I'd been protected from quite a lot of the detail that had appeared in the, paper by, in the papers by friends that I was staying with. But when I read that article, it was extraordinarily powerful uh, because it distilled very, very um, precisely um, and in a remarkably vivid way just how monstrous what had appeared in the papers was. And the impact was as great as it was because... Here was an image um, which was intending to reflect me back at myself, but it was an image so hideously twisted and distorted, rather like the image of Dorian Gray, that the impact had almost physical force. It was like a, a physical assault. In fact, it was probably worse than that because of the uh, invasion of privacy that was involved and the contempt and venom. It was more like a rape. It was... Uh, being like uh, it was like being the, the the impersonal victim of a journalistic and populist lust to humiliate and demonize anybody who didn't conform to um, a conventional stereotype. And I'm going to um, end by uh, giving you just one more quotation. This time. It's um, by Kevin Marsh, the former editor of the Today programme. To put it bluntly, he says, the business model of the tabloid press has become so dependent on trashing the reputations of ordinary people, as well as celebrities, politicians, and people in public life, that it's now nothing other than a machine to convert harassment, intrusion, misery, sneering, and mockery into cash. Papers sell on the depth of their inhumanity. Columnists are judged by the frequency and inventiveness of the offense they cause. Thank you very much. <laughs>